Roger that, Houston. All systems spied by five. But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Fascinating. Get away from her, you bitch! Welcome to the Nerdfest podcast today. We've got Ian McLaughlin, Peter Johnson, John Father, and I'm Hazel Burton. Where's Dan? Dan, we killed him. I killed him in a duel. Oh, a Hamilton duel. <laughs> yeah. You had a Hamilton wrap off. Not again. <laughs> One, two, three, four. On the episode today, we have got a film buff or film bluff quiz. We are going to be making some Game of Thrones predictions. Who is going to be killed off first and who is going to be sitting on the Iron Throne at the end of the series. And we have also got the return of Shameful Gap and we will be talking about Last Action Hero. Also, Ian, our regular quiz master, you've got another quiz. Would you like to tell us all about it? Yes, I've got seven sci-fi and fantasy movie titles, but they're cryptic clues to the title of the movie. You have to guess the movie. Nice. Well, all of that you look forward to, so let's start the show. One thing I looked up for a buffer bluff and didn't use is that a three-person duel is called a thruel. <laughs> Would you believe that? I, I, I do, yes. <laughs> well, that's why it would have been a good bluff. What's a four-person duel? A cruel? Quatruel. <laughs> Is that when you tell each other the truth just I mean, before we kill each other? A three-person thing, you'd, you'd normally call it like a Mexican standoff, don't you? But how could you have a yeah. three-person duel? Do you, do you have like two weapons each? So you, like, so you, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, it just looks like a big Tarantino yeah. movie. <laughs> At the end of Reservoir Dogs, doesn't someone get shot and there's no explanation? I, don't, I haven't seen the film for a long time. Not seen it for the years. way that they're all sort of pointing guns at each other, mm-hmm. somebody just gets shot and dies, and nobody fired a gun at them, mm. and there's no explanation for it. Mm. I haven't seen any Nick Cage movies in the last couple of weeks. Good. I've done... I thought you were um, a little bit more polite than usual. I'm recovering. I'm a recovering cageaholic. <laughs> Basically, my girlfriend threatened to leave me if she came in one more time and there was a Nick Cage that, movie. That on. wasn't the only reason, was it? <laughs> <laughs> So first up, we've got Film Buff or Film Bluff. This is where we've all come to the podcast with three facts, but we have made one of those facts up and we've got to try and bluff our way through it and the others have got to try and guess. So who wants to go first? I'll get it over with, shall I? Off you go in. <laughs> I actually have four things. Uh, okay. Only one is true. They're to do with um, special effects in movies. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Uh, three are bullshit, one is true. No, oh. three are true, one is bullshit. I've got three is bullshit, one is true. <laughs> <laughs> of course you have. So, yeah. <laughs> so three of these aren't real, and one of them is real, okay? <laughs> Number one, green screen, which is the uh, special effect where you can put people onto different things, was invented by mistake in 1940 from the film The Thief of Baghdad when they were trying to composite two pictures of each other and they noticed that the grass on the ground um, was showing through and showing all the picture behind it and they realised, oh, there's an effect we can use there in the future. That's fact number one. Mm-hmm. Kensington Gore, which is the uh, classic theatrical and stage blood, was invented by Alice Chapel from Kensington, who was a notorious clairvoyant who used to scare Victorians by producing blood from eyes and ears and she used it using glycerol and mashed up beetroot. I think that's bollocks. I think it's Kensington's, like Whitechapel. It's one of these places where people get killed in sort of you know, whatever in, Ian visits. <laughs> <laughs> okay, number three. Mm-hmm. 
in movies and still to this day when actors find it hard to produce tears, perhaps because they're not as emotional moments as they should be, they used onion juice. They mix onion juice with water and spray in the eye just as action is called and that produces a tear. Okay. And in Lord of the Rings, the different sizes of the characters was done by spreading them apart. So Bilbo would be back at the set, Gandalf would be standing 20 feet in front of him and then he would try and get the eye line right, and that's how they would make him look much, much bigger. And also big boots. Some of that was used for Hagrid, wasn't it? Well, that's true. That's one of the effects that they used. That's like Another example is when Gandalf is riding in the carriage with Frodo, and they're actually, like, Frodo is sitting a few metres away, and Gandalf's at the front, yeah. and they've used the two images to put together. So, yeah, that's... Ian, have you, these things you've made up, have you actually checked the doctor? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, but if you know, I watched Lord of the Rings a couple of days ago, actually, just uh, not for the first time, but for the 21st time. They uh, didn't get the eye line quite right. Like Gandalf is kind of looking at the distance, but he's supposed to be looking at Bilbo. Mm. So it's one of the first times they tried that. But that's, yeah, I think that's true. You think that's the true one? Yes. What do, what do you think, John? I I know that's the true one because yeah. I've seen the behind the scenes footage okay, of good. them doing it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they definitely have done some of that. Okay. It's not only that, but they have done that. The Thief of Baghdad is a is a much earlier film, isn't it? Was it not? Nineteen forty. There was an earlier Thief of Baghdad, I'm sure. Or it may well be, but I think so if it was anything, of, he will have looked up the date of the film. Yeah, because it was one of the first colour films, and they just hand painted the cells. That's how they did the so colour. That one's true. I'd say that's a lie. So Kensington Gore. Green screen normally is a video effect, isn't it? Oh, I suppose they use it in movie, don't they as well? No, it's usually movies. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, you're all correct. Of course, the Gandalf thing is true. That's how, mainly how they did his effect of being much taller. It was 20 feet in front. Kensington Gore is just literally named after the street Kensington Gore. Uh, it has nothing to do with actual gore itself. It's a pun on the name of the street. Okay. Um, they don't use onion juice to make people cry. They never have done. It's a fallacy. It's not true. They have tear sticks, don't they, that paint tears on people's faces. Mm. Or they just kick them really hard in the bollocks. <laughs> in just nuts, yeah. yeah, if you go to the Jerry Tribbiani School of Acting, he gets a <laughs> tweezer and he puts it in his pocket and he just starts pulling. <laughs> Green screen was not invented by mistake. It was actually discovered 10 years earlier than that with blue screen, which was the original method mm. for transferring and composite footage. Green screen was then invented by Larry Butler, who was the effects visualizer on Thief of Baghdad, nineteen forty. But the first use of blue screen was nineteen thirty-one, and before then, Disney did uh, in the early days of Steamboat Willie, which is sort of the early twenties. That's animated. Yeah, not that particular film, but in those early days of those kind of films, they first uh, mixed live action with cartoon mm-hmm. by using a white screen and projecting the the picture on the screen, and people just stood in front of it. Uh, back projection. Like the early Bond films, if you look at those, they have terrible shots where people are in a car driving along and the, Obviously. the stuff behind is just and awful. People, <laughs> people just shaking the car. Yeah. <laughs> so you, yes, yeah, I didn't bluff you. <laughs> I have uh, three facts about the Mars Eisley Cantina Band. Hamilton. The official name of the band is... Figrin, Dan and the Modal Nodes, and the style they play is known as jizz music. <laughs> Other Making no- that sweet, yeah. sweet jizz music all night long. Other notable practitioners of the style <laughs> include the Max Rebo Band, the Sosnals, and Eva Orbis and his galactic jizz whalers. <laughs> <laughs> didn't they, didn't, didn't they, when the first ones to do Come On Eileen? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's fact one. Number two. As well as the main Star Wars title sequence, 
John Williams composed the songs played in the cantina and used a Caribbean steel drum. The third one, after the release of Star Wars, a Belgian jazz quartet named Les Enfants Grand sued Lucasfilm, alleging that one of the cantina songs stole melodies from a song they had written and recorded in 1974. The film producers settled out of court. Mm. First one's a bluff. The, the intergalactic jizz whalers. Yep. It's too elaborate. <laughs> yeah. It's, and it's got jizz in it. <laughs> I, well, I, it's a I, rule I, about I, film buffer bluffs containing jizz. You always have to be true. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's true. And I want it to be true. I, I think I've heard, and again, this is false memory syndrome, but I'm pretty sure I've heard about the lawsuit about the cantina mm-hmm. band. And I'm pretty certain there is a real steel drum yeah. being played. It does sound like it. Band. And definitely John Williams wrote it. Yeah. I haven't heard anything about the lawsuit. But then again, jizz is a great word. And <laughs> Too the, good a word. It should be true. <laughs> but I'll go for the last one. I'm going to go for the suing being the bluff. I'm going to go for jizz being the bluff. Okay. Uh, jizz music is a real thing. No! Uh, and that is very, very true. Wow. <laughs> Excellent. I'm so pleased. <laughs> Uh, John Williams did compose the songs in Cantina Band, completely made up the um, the, the the one about the Belgian band suing them. Oh, I was sure that was true. See, false memory. Mm. Belgian band was the clear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, there's been some great Belgian music. Oh, yeah, you're Boney thinking M. Plastic Betron, aren't you? Boney M. They're German. Are they? Yes. But the producer was Belgian, wasn't he? Nope. German. Oh. Frank Farian is the Farian. producer. Peter, you know things <laughs> He was also responsible for Millie Vanilli. That's him. Yeah. Bastard. Good bluffs. Thank you. Yeah, mine is all about Captain America. Oh, God. What, what's your beef with Captain America? Nothing. Just don't know, don't know much about him. <laughs> <laughs> You're not supposed to. Okay, so the famous Uncle Sam recruitment poster seen in the closing credits was originally designed by someone called James Montgomery Flagg. The song heard in the movie, Star Spangled Man, was written by Robert and Kristen Lopez, who wrote the songs for Frozen. And the team of soldiers that Cap leads in the second half of the movie are called the Howling Commandos, but no one uses that name in the movie. Mm-hmm. I've heard the word Howling Commandos before, so I'm going to say that that is probably correct. Which bit? That they are called the Howling Commandos. Yeah, I've, I've heard that before, but I don't know if it's, I've heard it in the film. Okay, or... the fact is that the name isn't used in oh, the movie. Oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have heard it before, but I can't remember if it's in the film or reading about the film. You said no one says it, but maybe it's written in the film. Maybe it's written on a sign. What were the other two again? That the Uncle Sam recruitment poster, the famous one, was designed by James Montgomery Flagg. And no the... idea who he is. Yeah, so is it n- nominative determinism that he designed something really oh, patriotic? Say that again, Peter, without stuttering. <laughs> so was it nominative determinism? <laughs> Just one more time. <laughs> <laughs> you bastard. <laughs> so was it nominative determinism that a really patriotic symbol was created by someone <laughs> called Say the word fluke, mate. It's fluke. It's fluke. <laughs> Because nominative determinism is the idea that your you name... Can't, you can't say it, though. I know, but still. Just say it, fluke. It's not fluke. It's the idea that your name determines what you become. So if you're called Baker and so, you become a Baker... Okay. So, so fate? No. 
Do you have what is it? Nominative determinism. You did it then. Name. Yeah, I know I did. <laughs> I'm getting angry now. That's the way to do words. We get angry. You say it right. I think. I think that's one you made up. Okay. Yeah. So that was the first one. Was that the patriotic poster was designed by someone called Flag? The second one is that the song heard in the movie was written by the people who wrote the songs for Frozen. I think that's probably true. I don't know. But I think I'll go with the flag one just because it's probably some other non- nominative determinism name. <laughs> sure. Like Pole or Patriot, <laughs> Billy Patriot, something like that. Yeah. Rather than Barry, flag. Barry, your country needs you. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go for the last one because Peter got very defensive when I started arguing the semantics of it, which makes me think that he's done something. <laughs> <laughs> I think the Howling Commandos are the name of the troop that he leads and it is mentioned in the movie and that's the bluff. I think it, they it, that is the name, but they're not mentioned in the movie. So I think that's true. You think that's true? So I'm going to go with your flag. Okay. And Ian was? I'm going to go with the flag, just because I think it might be a different name. Okay, you're all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually that the song was written by Alan Menken, who wrote Little Shop of Horrors and Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin and Sausage Party for some reason. <laughs> Whereas both the other two are true. They're, they're never actually called the Howling Commandos in the movie. They're called that in Agent Carter, and oh, they've been called that for years in the comics, but yeah. they're not referred to that in the movie. That's where I got the name from then, so I was, I was aware that was their name. Okay, mine... Marlon Brando was a good actor at times, less good actor at other times, but a notoriously eccentric performer. And he had a, a, a reputation for not being the easiest person to work with on set. So I have three facts about Marlon Brando, one of which is entirely made up. And I had trouble finding one to make up because there's just so many, <laughs> there's so, so many about him. Number one. On the set of Superman the movie, there's the bit where Jorel, who is played by Marlon Brando, is holding baby Kalal up in front of her and going, you will be a great hero, you will go to Earth, etc, etc. The reason he's holding the baby like that is because he couldn't be bothered to learn his lines from the movie. So the lines are actually written on the back of the baby's diapers. And he, he, he's reading them from the back of the diapers. Factor number two, during the score, Marlon Brando was a little bit overweight and as a result, he insisted that he would only be shot from the waist upwards. In order to ensure that that happened, he didn't wear trousers on set, so just turned up in his boxers so they could only shoot him from the waist up. Factor number three, the film Columbus the Discovery, Marlon Brando played a Spanish character. He spoke in Spanish all the time he was on the set refused to say his lines in English, and as a result, in the final cut of the film, his lines are overdubbed by a Marlon Brando impersonator. I know the second one is true, and I could very well believe his lines being written on a diaper being true. I'm going to go for number three. Superman as well. He agreed how much he was going to get paid for the movie, and then he sued the Sulkins for lots of extra cash, complaining that basically him being in the movie meant it made lots of more money, didn't he? He also famously said he just wanted to provide the voice of Jarell and thought that Jarell should be played by either a suitcase or a green bagel. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh dear. I'm going to go with the Spanish one. Okay. That he did all his lines in Spanish. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with the diaper. The diaper. Mm. The bluff is the Spanish one. So mm-hmm. Peter and Hazel are both correct. Mm. 
if you want to hear some brilliant Marlon Brando stories and some other great filmmaking stories, there's a documentary on Amazon Prime at the moment about the making of the 1990s version the of The Stanley. Island of Dr. Moreau. Yeah. Just watch that on Amazon Prime, it's brilliant. Hazel, have you got another one? I have a bonus film buff or bluff for you. Ooh. So, you know how all the best films are set on submarines? <laughs> right. <laughs> I uh, Hunt for Red October, Dust Boot, Not Aquaman. Oh, you watched that last night, didn't uh, you? Miserable, miserable film. <laughs> Terrible. So I have three facts about submarines. One of which I've made up. The Benz, it like Beckham's. <laughs> oh. Are you ready for a science lesson? Yes, please. Yep. <laughs> okay. Always. Number one, Leonardo da Vinci designed but never built a submarine. But in 2003, an Italian engineer built a replica from his designs, but it failed to submerge at all. Okay. Mm. Number two. The first military submarine was built in 1775 as a means to attack Royal Navy vessels occupying North American harbours during the American Revolution. They were called the Turtle and made several unsuccessful attempts to affix explosives to the undersides of British warships in the New York Harbour. I think that's true. Didn't they also have like a drill bit thing that could drill holes into the hull of the boat? That's what I read. <laughs> And the third one is that science fiction author and founder of Scientology, L. Ron Hubbard, was an officer in the U.S. Navy during the Second World War, briefly commanding a small anti-submarine vessel. In May 1943, the crew of the ship detected what Hubbard thought was two Japanese Navy submarines about 10 miles from the U.S. Pacific coast. Well, the aliens. <laughs> and engaged them in combat. After 68 hours of battle, Hubbard claimed to have definitely sunk beyond doubt one sub and critically damaged another. But an investigation found no evidence there have ever been any Japanese submarines in the area and Hubbard had been fighting nothing but bubbles. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, wasn't this the plot of uh, 1943, the Spielberg movie? So, yeah. Okay. So to recap, the first one is Leonardo da Vinci designed a sub and it, a replica was built from his designs mm. that never submerged. Second one is that the first military submarine was called the Turtle and made several unsuccessful attempts to put explosives on British ships. The third one is Scientology founder being a bit of a twat. Now, I know that scientists did try to recreate some of Da Vinci's mm -hmm. uh, things, but I think it was the tank they tried to recreate rather than... A, I don't remember him ever making a submarine. I could be wrong about that. But I know they tried to make the tank and that I, didn't work. I did go to an exhibition where they recreated all these mm. things, but built them out of like yeah. canvas and wood and the I remember watching a documentary where they actually tried to make like his actual things for real mm. and see if they worked. I'm sure it was a tank and not a submarine. So I, I think that's the bluff. I've heard stories that L. Ron Hubbard was a fantasist to some extent or confused about his war record. But I haven't heard that specific story, but I think I've, I've heard something similar enough for it to be either true or an alteration of something that is true. Uh, I'm going to go for number two being the bluff. I'm pretty Tindle. sure two is true. And even oh, down to the me. name. <laughs> I did say so. Uh, so I'm going to go for number one as the bluff. Okay, so we've got number one and number two... And number one. From and number one again. Okay. Ian and Peter are correct. Yay. Yes. Neil Leonardo da Vinci never designed a submarine. I believe he did design tanks. He did a tank and he yeah. did a helicopter, mm -hmm. neither of which worked. And he invented the first PlayStation. 
But I mean, the, the helicopter was basically just like a big canvas screw, wasn't yeah. it? So you'd have had to have moved it so fast to make that work. Never worked. Uh, but the parachutes would have worked. What you designed for that? That was another thing they tried out and it worked, but they didn't do it with a real person. They did it with a dummy out of an aeroplane. <laughs> nice, good. <laughs> but uh, no, actually, I would have believed he designed a submarine. Just wasn't convinced they tried it. And yeah, it didn't work. Maybe I should have added a little bit more because I came up with this idea that the Italian engineer who designed it based on a replica came eight years after he broke his back after testing his helicopter. <laughs> 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 I think I should have said that one. <laughs> Now we've got the return of Shameful Gap, and this is when one of those nerds has not seen a film that they should have done. They confess, and they watch it for the very first time and talk about it on the podcast. Today... Who's guilty of the Shameful Gap? It's not me. No, it's <laughs> definitely not me. I've seen everything. I've seen things you wouldn't believe. <laughs> <laughs> it's me. Oh. <laughs> Again. Shame. Shame. So my fifth Shameful Gap... <laughs> Most people have two at most. <laughs> no, I have five. I'm counting. <laughs> Depends where you put, yeah. Counting. One, two, three, or five. Yeah, it's only five, isn't there? Unless <laughs> you include my sockets. Nostrils. <laughs> That's hmm. nine. There's nine. Well, actually, technically, I don't have those gaps anymore because they've been filled. <laughs> <laughs> don't want to know about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, the latest one has been filled by... Last Action Hero. Shame. Shame. A great classic comes to the screen. Take thy hand, fair prince. Who said I'm fair? To be or not to be? Not to be. Columbia Pictures is proud to present the screen's greatest action hero, Jack Slater. Slater! Okay, so this came out, I think, uh, towards the end of the 90s. It revolves around this little kid who's about 11, 12 years old called Danny. He's a big fan of Jack Slater, who is basically a larger-than-life action hero. And he's often at the movies watching him... The projectionist then, for some reason, gives him a magic ticket to see Jack Slater's new film. In return for a favour. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a a midnight screening of the new Jack Slater film. He's the only one in the cinema. Um, (laughs) Midnight is the only one in the cinema. (laughs) It's a perfect recipe, isn't it? Stop it, the pair of you. Um, And during a car chase scene, someone, I think, throws a stick of dynamite at Jack Slater, who is played by Arnold Schwarzenegger. I don't know if I mentioned that. And the dynamite comes through the screen and suddenly Danny goes into the movie. It's basically a world where, you know, the good guys always win when you punch glass or when you fall out of a building and it never hurts, that kind of thing. But then the protagonist in the film called Benedict, played by Charles Dance, he of Game of Thrones fame, gets hold of the magic ticket and then goes into Danny's real world. And he thinks that if he kills the actor who plays Jack Slater, he will kill Jack Slater in real life. So he's after him at the premiere of the new Jack Slater film. Is everyone following me? Yes, (laughs) my head hurts. (laughs) So Danny and Jack Slater team up to go back to Danny's real world to try and stop him. Yeah. Yep. 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 Mm -hmm. So far. It's kind of a pastiche of an action film. 
it pokes, you know, several pieces of fun about, you know, the big action films that in the 80s and 90s were kind of famous for. The writers kind of looked at every Shane Black script there ever was, but then Shane Black came in at the last minute to rewrite the script that was based on his ideas. (laughs) And then John McTiernan, famous for Die Hard, was brought in as director, even though the film was about mocking films like Die Hard. So it was a nice idea, but it was then turned into a proper film by the very makers of the films that they were mm-hmm. making fun of it's almost like you <laughs> stuck a load of serious directors in to make a police academy movie yeah i'd love to see it Ma- police <laughs> academy 7 directed by martin scorsese <laughs> <laughs> the producers wanted alan rickman to play benedict mm-hmm. who eventually got played by charles dance but alan rickman didn't want to do it or was too expensive one of the two So Charles Dance showed up on set wearing a t-shirt that said, I'm cheaper than Alan Rickman. (laughs) It's quite nice. I actually quite enjoyed it. It's a bit of harmless fun. And there were some moments where I genuinely laughed. Towards the end of the film, when Benedict is back in the real world, he discovers that actually the bad guys do win. So he shoots someone. Like he literally just points a gun at someone, shoots them in the street and goes, hello, I've just shot someone. (laughs) And no one comes, no police car turns up. So he realises that he can get away with everything in mm. the real world compared to the movie world. I mean, I don't know whether it's because I'm fascinated by the concept of filmmaking as well. I love to watch behind the scenes. So seeing Jack Slater's whole world, his, his life is saved by a cat at one point. And then, then it became a little bit ridiculous. <laughs> this is the cartoon cat. Isn't yes, it? the yeah. cartoon cat who's also a uh, police detective. There's just like loads of really good jokes. And, and the actual concept itself is a really good idea. Yeah. It's just, it's a mess. You can see it's the result of eight or nine people throwing ideas in, at random almost. Yeah, that was one of my favourite moments when Danny takes Jack Slater to a video store to try and prove that he's actually an actor. And it's like, look, you know, this is one of your most famous films and um, gets up the poster of Terminator 2 only for Sylvester Sloan's space to be on it instead, uh, (laughs) which is a nice little in-joke. I enjoyed it more than I thought I would because I don't know why I missed it growing up. It's the kind of film I would have loved to watch. It came and went very quickly. It was supposed to be like with the big blockbuster of the summer and it didn't really take off. But it, it had like a terrible word of mouth, I think, just before it came out as did well. It, did it not come out like a week before or a week after Jurassic Park and Jurassic Park just Yes, that destroyed did completely it. Yeah. kill it. Yeah. For me, the single worst thing is the kid. The kid mm. actor is just atrocious. He's worse than Jake Lloyd in Phantom Menace. He just sucks the whole film dry whenever he's on screen. You do know um, Ian was that child actor, don't you? <laughs> Thanks. <Yeah>. Sorry, Ian. <laughs> it was kind of clear that they, they threw money at the project as well. So it is quite a good soundtrack, to be fair. But rather than asking ACDC to license one of their tracks, he made them write a brand new one. Mm-hmm. And it was also the first film to uh, advertise on the back of a rocket. It cost them half a million to advertise on a rocket and the rocket never took off which is um, symbolism for you. (laughs) You can see that they just wanted to throw all sorts of things at it. And it just, as you say, Peter, it just never quite gelled together. But for what it was, enjoyable. I think they finished shooting something after like six six weeks weeks, before it was released. Because it had been rewritten so much, the production kept being put back. And John McTurner said basically it wasn't edited. What you see is not even a rough cut, just it was just slice all the scenes together, get it out Mm. there. It's got to hit this release date. 
people were expecting sort of before the start of the summer the two big films to be Dick Tracy and Last Action Hero, neither of which uh, really yeah. worked. Because Dick Tracy was obviously a hugely expensive misfire. Mm-hmm. It, it has a great cast, but then they've covered them in so much makeup, you just can't see who's who. Mm. Mm-hmm. So did you enjoy it? Can you remember watching it? Uh, yeah, I've probably seen it maybe three times for one reason or another. Like I showed it to my son who's you know learning movies and movie making and that sort of thing. So he's quite interested in that sort of meta stuff. Mm. He enjoyed it as well. I occasionally confuse it with True Lies mm. just because they came out at similar times, I think, or not that far apart. Yeah, speaking of True Lies, actually, in, in one scene, Jack says to Danny with regards to his ex-wife, do you think I would marry someone so stupid that doesn't know the real voice from a taped one? Which... Uh, in his next film, True Lies, is exactly <laughs> yes. what happens. He used a tape voice to fool yeah. his wife. So again, all kind of, well, actually, no, it wouldn't be an in, in joke then because it wouldn't have been made. No, but he's just like, oh, that's a good idea. Again, <laughs> foreshadowing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis in, the, in that, that scene, she does a little sexy dance for him, is, mm. is, is genuinely, what I think, personally, quite sexy. <laughs> I think <laughs> someone across the table from you agrees with you. Was it one of your defining moments as a kid? No, no, uh, no it, was, uh, places, it, was, um, it was Jim Lee Curtis involved, but when uh, she disrobes in Trading Places. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That oh, was, yeah. Uh, that was an early sight of her. And I <laughs> Very impressive. Oh, yeah. she, she's our Chris Helmsworth. <laughs> Helmsworth. <laughs> yeah, she's our Helmsworth, is, uh, is Curtis. <laughs> I saw it when it came out, and I've seen bits of it since. And it seems, I think, before its time. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at something like Being John Malkovich, which came out a couple of years later, which deals with kind of a similar idea, is a similar concept. Yeah. And it just feels like it was a little bit too out there for the time. And Yeah. Whereas the book that I recommended on the previous episode, Ayawadi on Ayawadi, is um, that kind of thing yeah. as well. So, And that kind of goes down very well today. So, mm-hmm. yeah, probably too metaphysical for being a metaphysical film. So how many misfiring rockets out of 10 would you give <laughs> Last Action Hero? I'm going to give it six and a half, I think. Mm. Entertaining, solid, Mm -hmm. but as you say, misfiring. The last action hero. The big ticket for 93. I'll be back. Ha, you did not going to say that, did you? That's what you always say. I do? Very good. Okay, uh, welcome back to Daniel. Hello. We're going to be talking about Game of Thrones final season. He's going to join us in making some predictions about who is going to die first and who is going to end up on the Iron Throne. Yes, so I had warned all the other nerds that an army of the dead was approaching our recording studio. So I ventured north of the wall to bring back a white to prove to them that, in fact, the threat is real and we should all unite in order to stop this threat. Oh, that's very courteous. John, if you want to open that sack of fun just by your left hand, um, you will find a dead zombie in there. It might try and eat you, but you will believe me. That's uh, just a homeless man, Dan. Oh. Have you, have you brought a homeless man in a sack for my nimber? Oh, no, oh, no. Again. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I did wonder why, uh, why he was complaining. I thought, oh, no. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. Technically, we're over the border, so it's... Sorry, not, sir. Have some Haribo for your troubles. Thank oh. you. Oh, yeah. He's, he's, yeah. He's, he's all right. We'll, we'll, don't worry, folks. We'll, we'll 
We'll look after him. We'll release him back into the wild. Yeah, but the dead are coming, honest. They, they, they are. Uh-huh. Yeah. Sure, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So first of all, let's make our predictions. John, which main character is going to bite the dust first? I don't know. Oh, great. Dan? <laughs> Everyone dies, Night King wins. I think Jamie might go quite early. I think he's going to be punished for his disloyalty. The mountain's after him. Everybody's after him. He's not trusted by any side, really. So I think he's going to I think he's going to die a hero. He's trusted by Brienne. I think she's going to die protecting him, giving him finally the sense of courage he needs to dispatch Cersei. And I think he's the Lannister who'll live. Uh, mm-hmm. I think um, Anya Stark may go quite early. Oh, yeah, Anya. Anya. Yeah, that, <laughs> that little known Stark. I think you mean Arya. I think Arya Stark <laughs> may go early. I think she's going to cross that last name off her list and then... Well, she just keeps adding to her list. It's almost like she doesn't want to get to the end of it because she knows what's yeah. going to happen. Who, who's still on the list? Uh, the Hound. The Mountain. Cersei. Theresa May. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone else is kind of already Yeah, but dead. not because she killed them, because no. other people killed them. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Joffrey. You feel her story is probably going to be cross everyone off the list until she gets to Cersei and then Cersei kills her. You think? I think the It would be a poetic, yeah. good narrative end. To her plotline. Because yeah. Cersei's kind of removed from the main plot at the end of season seven. Yeah. Mm. Yes. They're all kind of going north and she stayed in King's Landing. Mm-hmm. Although it would be quite good if you just forgot about her for a while. You think Cersei's won, then she just pops up from behind and finally kills yeah. her and completes her list. She can do Mission Impossible face mask stuff mm. as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. So she so- could have been any other character the whole time. <gasps> She's a scroll. Yeah, the last person sat on the Iron Throne at the end will just take the face off and it'll be Arya. <laughs> oh, and then no. you know the face off and it'll be George R.R. R. Martin. <laughs> uh, I have a slight outside instinct for Jon Snow going first. You know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> He's kind of been cast by Melisandre, mm-hmm. the Red Woman, as the prince who was promised. But she's been very, very wrong before. She thought Stannis was the one that was promised. And also, as was pointed out in season seven, it's not necessarily prince. It could be prince or princess. Mm -hmm. And I just think that John is quite sacrificial. I think he would die himself before he would let anyone else be killed. And I just Mm -hmm. think he might be sacrificed early on and then his sisters would avenge his death i'd just love to see uh, aria and sansa side by side on horses facing cersei's army mm. is it possible he dies of shame after he realizes he's been fucking his aunt <laughs> <laughs> possibly but he's going to find out he's a targaryen as well yeah i think he might die before he realizes that Mm. I don't know. I'm kind of half hoping for a conventional, not conventional happy ending with John and Daenerys both surviving, mm. ruling as co-regents with their incest baby. <laughs> um, and there is peace in the kingdoms and all is well. Fire and ice have united. Yeah. It is a song of ice and fire. It is, yes, as my t-shirt represents. Yes. I think it's either going to be Jon Snow or a death that would hit me very hard is Jorah Mormont. Mm. Yeah. yeah, he's gone. Mm. Yeah, He was yeah. one I picked, mainly because I didn't want to see him go. The other one I don't want to see go is Davos for some reason. I just really like him. Um, Anybody think Daenerys will go? No. 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 Not until the last episode. No chance. Yeah. All that time trying to get the throne. She dies in the last episode. If Jon Snow's a Targaryen, doesn't he have more of a claim to the throne than she does? Yes. In those times, he has more of a claim because it's the male heir, isn't it? He's the son of Rhaegar, who was the son of Aerys. Yes. The mad so the king. direct line is to John. 
Yeah, primogeniture in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's the word, primogeniture, <laughs> male inheritance. This is why I think the co-monarchs thing might be right. Mm-hmm. He might be the more rightful heir, but he thinks I can't do it alone. And anti-lover, more of a, <laughs> come, come help. <laughs> it's more a theme of unity as well. If they yeah. end up sharing the throne, which is a together. common theme throughout Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. yeah. unity. <laughs> the problem is maybe no one person can sit on the Iron Throne. Maybe you need more than one person to do it properly. Mm. See, I think they might be building themselves up for a sequel to this and have none of the people that we know so and have the Night King on the Iron Throne at the end. So it becomes this sort of Star Wars-esque evil guys are in charge and then we see them trying to be overthrown so in the, the next series. So the entirety of Game of Thrones is essentially Star Wars and then mm-hmm. we have to have the Empire Strikes yeah. so, Back. So the, whole, the same thing. <laughs> yes. so the whole Song of Ice and Fire series has just been a prequel because, you know, he's not going to get around to writing those <laughs> if that's the case. Yeah. I've got two thoughts of the ending. I don't think we're going to get a happy ending. I think we're either going to get everybody wiped out by the White Walkers, or the Petty Squabbling is just a waste of time, and that's what we've learned. They can't work together to destroy this common foe, and they have to be punished for it and all die. Alternatively, Sansa Stark. Hmm. I think she's going to go increasingly dark, and she's going to end up on the throne, but alone, and slowly being corrupted and turning into Cersei Mark II. I think you've got that confused with the plot of X-Men Dark Phoenix, where Sansa Stark slowly goes nuts and gains in power. Well, you could end up with more of the Blake 7 ending, which is where all your leads get killed, and you end up with the 10-year-old girl who looks like she might be quite a good leader, oh, even at the age of 10. Like Ly- Lyanna Le- Mormon? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. and the chi ends up on the throne. That, would, oh. that could, that could yeah. work. I've read a theory that the last scene will be Sam writing the whole story down <laughs> in the library in the <laughs> Citadel. Mm-hmm. Like slow turn to camera and it, old Sam is in fact George R.R. Martin. <laughs> yeah. He just winks at the camera and then <laughs> yeah. it's like a freeze frame. <laughs> Fade to black. And then you know it's fiction because George R.R. Martin never finishes it. But... <laughs> yeah. The most shocking death I think would be Tyrion if he was to mm. go early. Mm. Well, Rewatching season seven recently, he's not in it that much. No. He's been doing a lot of other stuff as well. So he was in Avengers. He was in. Sorry, I'm just remembering him in Avengers. Maybe his character in the Avengers is Tyrion, who goes to space in the final season to make a hammer to defeat the Night King. <laughs> and it's all connected because yeah. Disney have just bought HBO. So just to sum up, Dan, you're going for. Who to die first? Uh, first to die, Brienne. Mm-hmm. And who's going to be on the throne? Happy ending, John and Daenerys sharing. Sad ending, Night King. Okay. Or Bran. No. Peter? Davos to die first. Mm-hmm. Lyanna on the throne. Mm-hmm. John? It was all a dream. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Ned just steps out of the shower <laughs> the following morning. Manic feels a bit... Uh... <laughs> Nobody on the Iron Throne. Everybody dead. The first person to die, Jamie Lannister. Okay. And I'm going to go first person to die, Jon Snow, and the Night King on the throne. Mm. So we'll see if any of that came true uh, very shortly. I'm in London when the first episode's on. I've got to avoid spoilers till Tuesday night. I'm going to turn off everything. I'm just, I might buy some blindfolds and just bird box around for a day. <laughs>
It is quiz time. Uh, Ian, what have you come up with this time? Okay, this time I have some uh, cryptic clues to famous uh, fantasy and sci-fi movie titles. I'll give you the cryptic clue. Hmm. Buzz in when you think you know what the title is. There are ten on offer. Here we go. Number one. Before meeting a creature from another planet, you should always have your evening meal. Hazel. E.T.? Yeah. E.T. Come on, it's that easy. Point. Okay. In olden days, if you wanted to have bum sex, you had to ask permission from a royally appointed official. John the Ass King. (laughs) (laughs) In olden days, if you wanted to have bum sex, you had to ask permission from a royally appointed official. (laughs) Can we have a clue? No, that is the clue. (laughs) No. No, not no. that one. Okay. That's Lord of the Rings. Oh. <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> okay, number three. A detailed look at ethnic groups living in another country. I mean, it's the famous sci-fi fantasy movies. Nope. 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 That's Minority Report. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> number four. After a design fault was discovered... Every one of Arnold's BMWs had to be returned to the manufacturer. Hazel. Total recall. Total recall. Yes, there you go. Very good. <laughs> but yeah, that was Hazel. So you got two points. Thank you. Everybody else got zilcho. Did you say the only person that can see your laptop screen has two points? I can't see the screen. I can't see the you screen. You don't see the screen. Show, no. So I'm, I'm being cynical. Yeah. I am aghast at that accusation. Okay. Number five. Who needs a wand when you've got a can of Foster's? Who needs a wand when you've got a can is of it, fosters? Is it Harry Potter and the Fizzy Piss? <laughs> no. You've got to say your name as well. John, is it Harry no. Potter? The... <laughs> Who needs a wand? Who has a wand? Mm-hmm. Wizard? Mm-hmm. And a can of fosters. Australian lager. Oh, uh, John, the Wizard of Oz. Yes, oh. correct. So that's two points to Hazel, one point to John Peter. you got shite all. <laughs> as always. Number six. The prince is also a hairdresser. Hazel. Edward Scissorhands. Yes, correct. She's firing ahead. Next one. Seven. Excuse me, waiter. My breakfast drink is full of legs and antennae. That's okay, sir. It's meant to be like that. What's a breakfast drink? Spider orange. Breakfast drink. It's like orange Orange juice. Orange. (laughs) Orange spider. Orange what? Juice. Yeah. Legs, antennae. Juice insect. And? What? Juice. And? and oh, John, Beetlejuice. Yeah. Yes, Beetlejuice. Oh. 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 <laughs> I was watching that literally two days ago. Number eight. So it's three, two, is it? What I like is the way that you two work through the logic and then I annoyingly jump in with the answer. <laughs> <laughs> Number eight. The rumour that I've been making paper is just a story. Feels like something tail. So rumour that you've been making paper. Pyrus, uh flat. What do you do when you make paper? What's the first thing you create? Mush mulch. <laughs> Another word. Pulp. Pulp, Pulp fiction. Uh, uh, <laughs> say your name. 
Peter Pulp Fiction. Yes. That, that popular no, that, 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 that should go to Pulp that's, Fiction. Yes, that's Hazel. That should no, go to Hazel. No, I only got it for still gonna win, It's still going to win anyway, sir. <laughs> Number nine. My pet bird poops chocolate balls. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen Ian so pleased with himself. <laughs> Parrots. My pet bird poops chocolate balls. So. Parrot, crap. parrot or budgie, mm-hmm. budge. Think about chocolate balls and brands thereof. Um, oh, hang on. Right. Malteser. No, it's, um, what's the... Budgie um, shit Malteser. What's the, what's the ambassador Pop. one? Sorry? What's the ambassador one? Forever Rocher. Yeah. This isn't a sci-fi or fantasy movie, I should point out. Okay. <laughs> so we've got, Mal- I think, Malteser. Maltese Falcon. Hazel, the Maltese oh, Falcon. Yes, the Maltese Falcon. <laughs> Thanks, John. <laughs> And finally, this is not a this is not a sci-fi or fantasy movie either. Final one: these grapes are completely feral. Grapes of wrath. Gotta say your name, Peter. Grapes of wrath. No. <laughs> Take the grape. These grapes are completely feral. Oh, um, Hazel, wild the wild bunch. Yes. Oh. <laughs> Hazel storms away with at least six <laughs> points. <laughs> well done. I think we've all learned something today. <laughs> <laughs> How he ends minds work. <laughs> minds? I do have two. Minds of work. Thank you, Ian. Another sterling idea for a quiz. What are you going to do next time? Ah, next time it's going to be uh, quite visual. I will be acting out uh, work well mo- on movies with parts of my anatomy. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll post um, snapshots of that. Uh, Hazel's quiz. the wild bunch. Yes. <laughs> Oh, don't, don't, yeah, that's a horrible image. John, pussy galore. <laughs> Wait, I do the Maltese Falcon. <laughs> Just give me a chair and a bucket. Please don't do Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh, a few of you have delved into my sack of fun, and I'm. I'm disappointed that you didn't go all the way. <laughs> <laughs> that you, you, there was a premature end to my sack of fun. I got, I got halfway through. My first delve into the sack of fun led to the film Foreplay, and I lasted 20 minutes. Um, <laughs> That's a record. <laughs> <laughs> it was sold on the cover as a four weddings and a funeral ripoff. So we had Colin Firth in there, Jack D turns up in a small role, Stephen Fry. And an American guy who starred in the film, it turned out he directed the film, he wrote the film and produced it. It was basically his vanity project. It's about a British sitcom, which is worked on by Colin Firth, who brings across an American writer who's worked on Seinfeld to bring some new life into the sitcom. Colin Firth has a wife and a female best friend. And this American guy, they try and set him up with the girlfriend. So he then starts dating the girlfriend, while at the same time, Colin Firth and his missus have troubles in the sack. It transpires that Colin Firth actually fancies his best friend rather than his missus, but this American guy fancies Colin Firth's missus rather than the girl that he's with. Nobody wants to tell the other one this, so comedic hijinks ensue as they all try and swap around and end up with the one that, oh, fuck off. (laughs) It's awful. It's really, really (sighs) awful. It's so, oh, 
after 20 minutes, I, I bought a new TV. This new TV cost me well over £1,000, and I, I threw a shoe at it. <laughs> <laughs> I risked destroying my what I call my new baby, so I didn't have to watch any more of this absolute tripe. And it, it was created by this American who clearly had no view of what Britain is really like. His entire view of Britain came from watching shitty rom-coms. So it's like a photocopy of a photocopy. It's like he had 20 minutes of script. So every scene in between just has them walking along a street with London landmarks while this awful twiddly library piano music plays and I just wanted to kill myself. <laughs> it wasn't fun. My sack of fun let me down. Imagine that. It wasn't even bad fun. It wasn't even entertainingly bad. It was just dull, turgid. I, I checked on Google and the guy had not done much since and I'm not surprised. Yeah, that pretty much reminds me of the film Selfless, which is what I pulled out of John's sack. It was very selfless of you to pull something out of my sack, I have to say. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> so how long do you last? Uh, halfway. Okay, so, so about five an hour. minutes, about an yeah. hour. Yep. So Ben Kingsley plays a billionaire who is dying of cancer and decides he wants to carry on existing as himself in a younger person's body. So it's kind of set in a dystopian future where this is allowed. But the body that you enter your mind into is supposed to be like made. It's not supposed to be a real person who's had a past. And guess what? (laughs) (sighs) So yes, his mind goes into Ryan Reynolds' body. Mm. And because things happen, (laughs) (laughs) Ryan Reynolds, as he is now, bumps into his wife before he died. And he starts having these kind of memory flashes and that's where I stopped. So I, I, I kind of predicted the rest of the film, which is that gradually he starts to remember more and more of his previous life. As Ryan Reynolds. As Ryan Reynolds. And therefore Ben Kingsley's character kind of gets erased. Mm. That's where I figured it was and going. And we were guessing how much Ben Kingsley would actually be in it. I think we were guessing it would be like a day or two he would have shot for it. Is that what it looked like? Probably, yeah. Uh, maybe, he maybe has about the first 20 minutes or so of the film and then Ryan Reynolds physically and mentally takes over. Do they do the quantum leap thing where when he looks in the mirror it's still Ben Kingsley? No. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he starts to get kind of hallucinations and there's something going on with the company that gave him this opportunity. He is figuring out that the company is not all what it seems. So it sounds like there was enough here to keep you interested. Why why did it go off? As interesting a plot as I've made it sound, probably. (laughs) Um, It was dull as dishwater. It it felt like a really missed opportunity because the acting was just so monotone and it just just didn't work for me. Monotone is not something I would associate with Ryan Reynolds. No. It must be the writing or the direction. This is early Ryan Reynolds. 2015. Oh, so not that. No. This is Taxfield Ryan Reynolds. This is just before (laughs) Deadpool Ryan Reynolds. This is just before Deadpool, as he was trying to get Deadpool made. Was it like a fire thing, you know, where the guy just took the cock for the bottle of water? Am I the only person that's seen this? What the hell is that reference from? (laughs) The Fire Festival documentary. Oh, right. They phone up the guy who's like the head of operations. They go, look, um, we need this water at the festival. Like, you know, we might need you to uh, suck some dick to get this water. And this guy's telling a story about how he went home and had a shower and he was fully prepared to go pleasure an immigration officer in order to get the water supply. This was the big meme that came out of... I'm surprised that no one has heard of this. over my head, yeah. I can just see how it's blank look on your faces and it's... Mm. Yeah, I'm used to it by now, but it still hurts. (laughs) Think how I feel. 
<laughs> so yeah, I mean, I can see why it attracted the likes of Ben Kingsley and, and Ryan Reynolds to it because the, they got the, paid money. They got paid. The premise <laughs> is promising. It feels like oh, this is our Matrix sort of thing. Yeah, but I think they just didn't quite do it just. It's not a bad film, but it feels like a missed opportunity. Mm. So you're not going to go back and watch the end anytime soon. I've already predicted it. I'll watch it to see if that was true. Within the first eight minutes of Aquaman, which I watched last night, I knew exactly what the final shots would be, and I was right. <laughs> directed by. <laughs> <laughs> Who was Aquaman directed by? James Wan. Mm. As in Saw, I think. Is that right? Yeah. So, um, Peter, you've not partaken. You, you, you've had, you've had and a gift. And it sounds less attractive the more I hear about you've had it. A, you've had a gift from the sack of fun, but you've not, you've not watched it yet. Is that no, correct? No, uh, Sanity Prevailed, and I haven't watched any of it yet. Sanity Prevailed sounds like a good film. Yeah. Uh, probably a better film than the, <laughs> the one I have waiting for me. You've got the Vampire Fight Club sex yeah. film. Actually, I think watching Aquaman is probably about <laughs> as bad uh, an experience cinematically as necessary. Uh, Ian, did you watch one? What have you got in front of you? I was given um, Sharktopus versus Terracuda, <clears throat> which is a movie where uh, a terracuda, um, a mixture of a, a pterodactyl and a barracuda, is created by a mad scientist uh, and escapes the uh, the compound. And the only way to save it is to release Sharktopus, another hybrid, which is half a shark and half an octopus, which I was disturbed to find out was a, this is actually a sequel to the original film, which is Sharktopus. Sharktopus. And there's also another film after this, which is Whale Wolf versus <laughs> Sharktopus. <laughs> I am Sharktopus. <laughs> I am Sharktopus. <laughs> Have you heard the story about Michael Douglas's brother? He tried stand-up comedy in the 80s and he was a terrible, terrible stand-up comedian. And he was getting heckled and all sorts of shit and he just stood at the foot of the stage and went, you can't talk to me like this, I'm Kirk Douglas's son. And this one in the audience went, no, I'm Kirk Douglas's <laughs> son. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got six and a half minutes into the film before I realised that the 50 pence John had paid for the, uh, the film <laughs> was probably 25 pence more than the budget of the total film. It was just unbelievably bad. Starting off with a, a scientist in a room, each one of them in a bright white coat and thick rimmed glasses to denote scientist with clipboard. Mm. Uh, that's the point I turned off. So you literally watched the titles of the first scene yeah, of the I film? Didn't, I didn't actually get to see a sharktopus or a, <laughs> a terracuda. But it could look wonderful. I don't think it's going to be. But interestingly, though, Roger Corman came out of retirement to direct a scene in this movie. Really? One yes. scene. One scene. Uh, Conan O'Brien plays himself in the movie. Uh-huh. And uh, Gorman was working on Conan, and he, and he promised him he would come out and do his scene for him. Mm. Well, I look forward to never watching that scene. <laughs> <laughs> so, so far, Hazel's the winner with about an hour, about an hour yeah. of selfless. Mm-hmm. And he is in last place with six and a half minutes. Six and a half minutes. It was unbelievably shit. <laughs> And that brings us to the end of another Nerdfest podcast. Thank you very much indeed for listening. Check us out on social media at Nerdfest UK on Twitter and Facebook. And we'll be bringing you another episode very shortly. But in the meantime, you've been listening to... Ian McLaughlin. Dan Watkins. Peter Johnson. Sir Ben Kingsley's sexy new body. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> still in here somewhere. I'll get it out. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and I'm Hazel Thurston. Bye! Bye. Uh, Hazel, do you want to give us a wrap-up? Okay. And that brings us to the end of another... <laughs>
Den skal jeg lade i karriere. Lidt fast. 